The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Welcome, everybody. It's always an interesting exercise to say hi. Um, And it's always okay, too. It's kind of a nice training for us not to just do it on automatic pilot, like how we, you know, how awkward it can be in our social settings, and we just sort of get on automatic pilot and deal with the social tension in a very predictable way. Instead of, and more from the practice point of view, it's like somebody may not really want to have a social moment, especially having just sat for 35 minutes, and some of you got here a little earlier, you've been sitting even longer. And so it's just nice to kind of pick that up. Sometimes just a a little smile might be the appropriate way. And, you know, who knows what else? High five, shaking hands, telling your life story in 30 seconds. (laughs) But it's like the idea is not, uh, this is not, not easy. I'm not saying this is easy. And you notice I didn't do anything up here on my throne, you know. I can tell you to do these things, but I don't have to. But, uh, but it's interesting in hard practice not to know what you're going to do when you look, when you smile, or, and just sort of see if some appropriate response to the person you're turning to, connecting with, might just come out of us, whatever that might be, and to be really forgiving. And it's just so interesting how these moments can either be really beautiful or, and, and liberating, actually, or they can also be really painful and suffering. And it's so much like a little microcosm of life, like how certain, thing in, certain things, certain moments in life can be really the cause for frustration and suffering, and other moments can be quite beautiful. And what is it that makes the difference? A lot of it has to do with how we approach it from a from fear, from a sense of need or craving, or if we approach it from a point of view of kindness. You know, kindness doesn't discriminate. We're kind toward ourselves, we're kind toward others. It's just a uh, yeah, willingness, like I don't know what to do, but I've learned through my life just to be close. So we value that being present, being awake, being intimate, and assume, not that it would be be perfect, but that our response, what we say or don't say, will most appropriately arise out of being present, intimate, than it would be like demanding that we have a plan, what we're going to do when we turn to this person, or what side should I turn to? (laughs) I mean, it can just tie us up in knots, something simple like that. So we'll do, you know, something like that. I mean, we've been, I've been trying to remember to do it. And, uh, but think of it as a little practice exercise. Not like how to do it right, but how to do it without suffering, without getting tight. Whatever you do, even if you just sort of like, no, I'm just going to keep my eyes closed and hope <laughs> it's over soon. Well, can you do that without suffering? Or is that also a cause for getting tight? And bound up, like you know, maybe they think I'm standoffish, or that I have such great samadhi, such great 
concentration that I didn't even hear the bell. (laughs) Or I'm sound asleep. (laughs) And this is sort of a nice little transition because those of you who are following along in Ajahn Sushito's book, he's a Western Buddhist monk, a wonderful teacher, and a number of us have been looking at this book and I'm going to be drawing on some of the material in this book and doing complimentary talks based on some of the chapters in this book. And we're on page 47. And I have these little slips of paper up here. If anybody wants to find the website where you can download the book for free and get your own digital copy of it, um, because he's a monk, a Buddhist monk, he, uh, it's traditional in this tradition at least not to charge for your teachings, including books. So you can get a copy of the book and read along if you want. It's just a great book anyway, even if you don't read it now while I'm going through it. But in any case, I think it's 46 or 47 or 48 is a chapter on mindfulness of breathing. And so for the next number of weeks, maybe for quite a while, I'll be doing the guided meditation more specifically out of the Buddha's instructions for mindfulness of breathing. And the Buddha taught many styles of meditation, uh, but one of the ones he used a lot himself, even as a fully awake, wise human being, and the one that he taught often was mindfulness of breathing. And a lot of the principles we learn in mindfulness of breathing will work for other styles of practice that you might do. And as you might suspect, but this is really important, But it's just generally true that it isn't so much about the object of meditation as much as it is about what we learn about the mind in turning our attention over and over again to the object. And this is a a lesson that we learn repeatedly that although we might use awareness of the body, especially like during, during daily life practice as we're moving about our day doing what we do, in order to sustain, to some degree, awareness, we cultivate this sensitivity to the body because it helps to return the mind more and more to the present moment. But what we discover when we're tracking the experience of the body during the day is, well, what do we discover? We discover the mind caught up in anger, the mind caught up in boredom, the mind caught up in craving, the mind feeling quite appreciative or a lot of gratitude, the mind being really forgiving. So this is uh, this structure that I'll be teaching out of for mindfulness of breathing follows the Buddha's 16 steps for training. And you'll see when you, if you decide to sort of dig in and look more specifically at these or just listen to my instructions, you'll see it. there's a real organic development So the first four instructions are really about developing this presence with the experience of embodiment and in an inclusive or all-embracing way. So even though we might start with this more specific attention to the actual sensations of breathing in, like some of you might find it easiest to connect with the breath, just as that simple experience of touching, the air coming in the nostrils, and then it touches the skin here and vibrates the little hair in your nostrils, right? And that touching 
is something the mind can be aware of. Even the temperature of the air, right? You can tune into. And then, of course, you after a little pause, there's a breathing out, and there's more of that touching, 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 touching. So that's what we would call the specific sensations of breathing in, breathing out, if you're aware of this part of the body. But some of you find it easier to feel the breath in other places, like feeling that movement of the abdominal wall as you breathe in, feeling the movement in, the contraction as you breathe out. So there's an the actual, direct, immediate experience of movement in the body. And then the more we're able to track that with some continuity, and how do you know if you're tracking it? Well, the first two instructions is, are rather, that you're there enough with the in and the out breath to know the difference between a smooth breath, a rough breath, or a long breath, a short breath. Right? So you're just tracking the natural movement of the breath. You're not forgetting. You're keeping it in mind enough so that you could, if, if there were a quiz, was that a short breath that just came in or a relatively long breath? Is that a smooth breath? or rough breath, you'd be able to answer. No, I w- the awareness was there, so I know. That was a relatively short breath. It's not that a short breath or a long breath is mystically important, but the continuity of awareness is profoundly important. It changes everything. Because the, the real enemy, the only enemy really, is distractedness. Right? That's so... All of the technique initially is overcoming the habit of distractedness or superficiality, where maybe we're aware, mindful in a moment, and then the mind very quickly gets swept away and spinning with some mental content, and then maybe has a momentary connection with awareness or with reality, and then swept away again. But when the mind has a continuity of present moment awareness, it will appear as an altered state. It's so funny that what should be an ordinary, natural experience for us arises initially or appears initially as an altered state. And it's just all it is is the absence of distractedness, the absence of superficiality. So be on the lookout for this. So... The first two steps again, tracking present moment awareness, not of the idea of the breath or the mental image of the breath, but the actual sensation. So I gave you two examples. You might feel the rising and falling of the abdomen. So the sensations, the physicality, uh, not the thought or the mental image, but the actual sensations there of that movement of the abdominal wall. Or another is the touching as the air goes in and out. Now, depends on your particular body and whatever habits of breathing. You might feel it more clearly, the breath, in other parts of your body. But this is a natural rhythm of breathing. You shouldn't have to make any adjustments. I mean, sometimes you know you might find that you're taking a deeper breath. Some painful memory came up, and you might kind of naturally do sort of a deeper breath. But This is not about controlling the breath. And this is important because a lot of you maybe have done yogic practices over the years. And in the yogic systems, there are all kinds of different 
breathing practices that involve some kind of control of the breathing process. But this is not that. This is allowing the breath to arise as it arises to go out as it goes out. We're training the attention to be aware without controlling, to be aware of the in and the out. Now, this is not an end in itself. It's just creating the stability of mind to get to know the mind, which is not so easy to be aware of. The more we stabilize, the more we have this continuity of awareness with something ordinary like the breathing process, then we can notice some pretty amazing things. So the first thing, we break the the addiction of the mind to be thinking about things, including thinking about the breath, and we're learning to be aware of the breath as not in terms of the concept, but the actual physicality of breathing in, breathing out, and to track that or to have a continuity of awareness. And then the next step, this is the third instruction, is to be aware in a more inclusive way. So there you are, the mind is at least, breathing in, aware of the sensations of breathing in, breathing out, aware of the sensations of breathing out. But now you're realizing, the mind is realizing that as I'm breathing in, aware of the breath coming in, right there, not not in a different place, right there is the experience of the whole body as you're aware of the breath coming in. And as you're aware of the breath going out, the sensations of the whole body are right there. Where else would they be? So this is, we're learning something about this relaxed awareness or this relaxed mindful presence, that it's by its very nature inclusive. Now you might have a very refined attention to the touching at the nostrils, but that clarity, that sensitivity is not excluding anything else. So if a Harley Davidson drove down the street, it may seem off in the distance but you're not seeing that sound or imagining that sound is a threat. Why does it have to be a threat? So just because you're sensitive here, it's like everything in the periphery is allowed. We're not practicing being afraid of other phenomena happening as we're aware of the breath coming in, aware of the breath going out. And you see, this is so important for all kinds of reasons. One is, it helps the system, the mind and body, stay relaxed. And there's no development of awareness without relaxation. Tightness gets in the way of being clear, of the practice developing. So just notice, so now you've been able to track the in-breath, able to track the out-breath, And then the third instruction, just uh, I'll read it to you as it's translated here. One trains oneself. Breathing in, I experience the whole body. Breathing out, experiencing the whole body. So you could even repeat that phrase to yourself. Breathing in, experiencing the whole body. Of course, silently in your mind, whenever you need that reminder. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm in this third place third stage, because I've settled down enough that to some degree at least, I can track the breath coming in and going out enough to actually recognize whether it's a long breath or a short breath. I'm not, so I, I'm not like, oh yeah, I know breathing's going on over there, but 
but I'll think about my day. And it's not enough to know that the breath is going on. There's enough attention, enough keeping it in mind to know the difference between this in-breath and then the out-breath, like whether it's long or short. That's just an, just a test to see whether there's that continuity of tracking. And then when there's that, then we get interested in the inclusivity so that we're not just feeling the breath coming in and the breath going out, but right there noticing the whole body, including hearing, including even seeing. So just the five physical senses, to whatever degree they are sensitive in that moment, it's just a sense of that being known on the periphery. And then the fourth instruction, which is very organic, is to notice the calm. Because when we have that ongoing inclusive inclusive attention, the body begins to calm down. Because it's interesting, it's the not being aware of the body in this inclusive way that allows the body to hold unnecessary stress. It's like, when I don't know my shoulders lifted up or my jaws clenched or my, you know, pulling up on the floor of my pelvis or tightening my belly or hands have unnecessary tension. I can remain tight forever if I'm not aware. But to the degree there's this ongoing whole body awareness as I breathe in and out, then even if I have a lot of habits to sort of freeze up or tighten up the body, there's going to be a recognition and basically some version of, honey, you don't need to be tight. You can be relaxed. Not that those words will repeat through you or happen in your mind, but there will be just a natural letting go because the mind is recognizing it. So you'll begin to see this deepening, broadening experience of calm. And as I mentioned in the guided sit, if you notice where in the body you feel some calm, it will tend to spread. Now, what is our habit usually in, in meditation practice? To put our attention where the tension is. Oh, my knee hurts. My back hurts. You know. And often, unless the, the concentration is really good, when we look at pain, what does it generally trigger in terms of our conditioned habits? Aversion. Reactivity, right? Getting tight. So if instead we take up the Buddha's instruction, one trains oneself breathing in, I calm the body. One trains oneself breathing out, I calm the body. Calm the bodily formation. Calm this thing we call the body. And how do we do that? Is we... Tune in. It's Really, that's a good phrase, tuning in. It's like developing a sensitivity. Even if the body is relatively tight and bound up with tension, perhaps instead of noticing that, we notice where in the body there's a rel- relative sense of relaxation and calm. And we tune into that. Even though it may not be the sort of predominant experience in the body, we choose because it's a training That's the word the Buddha used here. So we're not just being aware, we're training the mind to notice the calm, to tune into that 
And as you're tuning in, to notice how it tends to spread and deepen. You start to see it, feel it in more and more places in the body until eventually there's a general tone throughout the body of it being calm, settled, the body calm and settled, right? Just doing that is a lot. Just being able to do the first steps where you can track the in and the out breath as sensation, not as your thought about the breath or some mental image your mind has created about the breath, but just to feel the touching or just to feel the movement as you breathe in and the movement in the belly as you breathe out. And to do that with enough clarity that the mind knows the difference. Again, it's not like you have to tell yourself, oh, that was a long breath or that was a short breath. But it's really uh, like interest. There's an active interest in the physicality of that particular in-breath, in the physical expression, sensations of that particular out-breath. And not just one, but the continuity, that's the key. And what's so challenging about that? Well, one of the hardest things for our mind is is to sustain interest in something that's relatively neutral. It's very easy for us to sustain interest in what's really painful, and it's pretty easy for us to sustain interest in what's really pleasant. But it's not so easy to sustain a real authentic interest in what's neutral or relatively ordinary like the breathing process. But it's a powerfully transformative habit to develop because there's no waking up unless we can sustain this clear, bright attention with what's neutral. So we do that, and then that's a big step, just the first two steps. But then this inclusive attention like, can I sustain this evenness, this balance, this uh, clarity as I notice the whole body, the all, however the five physical senses are actively being sensitive as I breathe in. However the five physical senses are actively being sensitive as I breathe out. Now remember, this is important, You don't have to go look at the eye or look at the ear or look at the smell or taste because where are these five sensitivities of hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and seeing, where where are they being known? We think, oh yeah, the hearing is being known here and the seeing is being known here and the smelling is being known here. No, all of that's being known in the mind. in the awareness, space of awareness, field of awareness. And where is that? That's sort of a trick question. I mean, we say uh, mind or heart, but it's here. So we're relaxing, trusting, resting in the space of awareness because that's where hearing happens. That's where the sensations are being known. That's where seeing and smelling and tasting is being known, right here in the space of awareness, right here in the mind, in the heart. So when I say this, like we're, the third step is learning this inclusive awareness, it's so great. We don't have to aim our attention or turn our attention or direct our attention. It's much more about resting 
in the present moment. So let's check this out right now. Just do a two-minute little reflection. Just sit comfortably. So you might start by just feeling the sits bones, making contact with the chair or the cushion, the bench. And now, no longer in need of the word sits bones or the buttocks, no longer in need of a mental image or concept, but tuning in to the hardness or the experience of weight, but in any case, the direct experience of sensation here. And sensing, if you can, discerning, if you can, that this knowing of the contact, this knowing is happening here. And notice how these sensations, this knowing, there's like no need to direct the attention It's more about receiving or remembering that this is being known, not forgetting that this is being known. And then there as you're, or I should say here, in the present moment as you're aware of that ordinary experience of the buttocks against the chair cushion, that experience of contact, Notice how the sound of my voice is not in a different place, right? There's the awareness of pressure, weight, or whatever, and there's the awareness of hearing. And right here is the awareness, the sensitivity to the rest of the body, the breeze against the skin, for example. So right here, Even with her eyes closed, seeing is also happening. Where is the seeing happening? Whatever that experience of seeing might be. It's all right here. Instead of thinking that we need to use tension to direct the attention to different places, it's more about resting in the present moment, in the space of the heart where knowing happens, or the space of the mind where this knowing, this awareness happens, which is right here and now, always here and now. So you can open your eyes. So this third step, again, these are huge things to realize that the whole world, so you probably get that what's happening here is something is being known. This is if you want to be a professional Dharma teacher and lead Buddhist retreats, you just need to repeat this phrase. Something is being known. You really don't need to say much more than that. Any question, somebody asks you, say, well, 
It's just something being known. <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, yep, and that's something being known too. That's just a thought being known. So, but to realize that it's that simple and that every moment is always that something being known is always being known here, here and now. And that there's not like different places. It's all here and now. In the same way that sometimes we say, well, there's no past behind us and there's no future in front of us. Literally, there's no past behind us and there's no future in front of us. In the same way, it's not quite right to say, well, there's hearing and then there's seeing. What there is, is there's knowing. And with this knowing, there are these different objects being known. And all of that is happening continuously, that knowing of different objects is happening right here in rapid succession. A sound is being known, a sight is being known, sensations being known, thought is being known, emotions being known. And sometimes the attention is tuned into one particular thing, and sometimes the attention is wide and inclusive. And so even when we brought something into the forefront of attention, we're not excluding. We're not sort of, because that would be a mental, like a mental view, like that stuff's not important. This is important. But the whole point of our practice is to not evaluate, because how can we really understand what's happening if we're making choices about what's relevant or not relevant? And the whole point of developing this awareness is to see things as they are, which means, in a sense, we've got to have this hands-off. And so we just let everything arise and be known, however it's showing up, arise and be known. We stabilize the attention with something like the breath moving here as sensation in the body, but then we learn that everything else can also be included at the same time as being interested in tuning in, being aware of the breath coming in, and the breath going out. And it really makes, like if you're going to really, if you're going to work with mindfulness of breathing through your daily life, you'll need this breadth of awareness because you're not going to be able to function if your attention to your breath is exclusive. You're not going to be able to drive a car or have a conversation or even walk down the street if you want to use mindfulness of breathing to help support the continuity of present moment awareness. You're really going to need to learn this breadth of awareness while you're breathing in, knowing the breath, breathing out, knowing the breath. And then, like I mentioned, that turns out to be have a calming effect on the body. It's sort of like there's this beautiful integrity of mind and body, this beautiful integration or harmonizing of the mind and body with the whole body awareness, this all-inclusive awareness. And the, the uh, healing effect of that integration of awareness and body is calm. And it spreads and it deepens. And it sets in motion the fifth step. And this fifth step is really a step out of the 
attunement to the reality of embodiment and this beginning of an attunement to the reality of feeling, feeling tone. Because what now we're learning is to tune in to how it feels. And it's a lot easier to be intimate with feeling if it's joyful, right? If it's a pleasant feeling. So the fifth instruction is one trains oneself. I, I will breathe in experiencing joy. One trains oneself. I will breathe out experiencing joy. So I mentioned that you can use that quality of a smile to help the mind tune in to the lightness, the buoyancy that you begin to experience when there's this continuity, non-conceptual continuity with things as they are, the breath coming in, breath going out, this all-inclusive awareness and this calming of the body, the stability of the body, this integration and harmonizing of the body and mind, then you'll naturally, this is just cause and effect, basically. So again, initially, the, the joy might not be obvious. Like mostly you might notice whatever, a, sort of a dryness or a um, coolness or a flatness. But just in some place in the mind-body experience, you might begin to feel a quality of movement or lightness that could be characterized as joy or buoyancy. However faint, the key here to begin this fifth step is you have to be interested in joy. And it's a real leap of faith because basically you're not going to be interested in joy unless you believe this body-mind is capable of joy. And one of the chronic problems in our practice is we don't think that. <laughs> we're, we're pretty sure we're miserable or, you know... <laughs> tight or that we need some serious work before, you know, something beautiful or wholesome is going to arise in this system. You know, I need a few more years of therapy or a really good energy healer or whatever. I saw, I didn't read it, but I'm, I'm going to try to read it this evening. It's the article in the New York Times about the new, what is it? Or maybe it was in the New Yorker about the new drug of choice, some hallucinogen from South America that I guess has been around in some of the indigenous people of South America for a long uh, long time, but it's made its way to New York City. <laughs> you know, this sort of things to have um, altered states, but to realize that already naturally available in this body and mind is a real honest-to-goodness experience of joy. And if we are willing to tune in, to take that leap of faith, to tune into joy as we breathe in, to tune into joy as the breath goes out, then it will start to grow. It will start to deepen and broaden until it seems that the whole body and mind is affected by joy. As it has the, the, uh, the Buddha uses a phrase that gets translated like suffusing the body-mind with joy so that there's no space in the mind and the body not touched by this lightness, this rapture, this joy. And we're just beginning the practice at this point. you know, Or it's just like 
just getting to this place is what really allows for a deepening of insight. So it's so wonderful. Instead of beating ourselves up by saying, oh, I never get here, I must be really bad, what we should be thinking is, I am so interested in seeing whether that's true, that this is a natural organic development. All I have to do is turn this corner with the first two steps of keeping the present moment reality of breathing in and breathing out in mind enough so that I can begin to notice that it's all right here as I breathe in. The whole world of the body is right here as I breathe out. And then to see that calming effect in the body and let it spread and deepen. See the beginnings of joy. Get interested in it. Notice how its tendency is to spread and deepen. And then the last step is what is, is the Pali word is sukha, which is actually, you know, Pali, like Sanskrit, is an Indo-European language. So there's a lot of similarities because a lot of the European languages, like English, is also in that general category of languages, Indo-European. And so sukha, like sugar, right? It's sweet. It's pleasant. Sometimes sukha gets translated as just happiness, but other times maybe more specifically as ease or ease of being, ease of well-being, or even not, not exactly contentedness, but related to the feeling. It's like a ease of the heart, a kind of releasing of the armor of the heart, the safety of the heart when we feel that sukha, that pleasure. inner. It's like an inner pleasure. So the joy, which is more of like a lightness, wow, expansion, to more of a, that kind of pleasantness, maturing into a kind of a, ah, more of a relaxation of the heart. Instead of the bright, uh, um, expansive quality, more of a, ah, releasing, settling quality of the heart. Now, the Buddha talks about this as a natural evolution, that one thing, in a sense, supports the arising of another. And although the practice doesn't always evolve or develop in a given sit in this linear way, it's nice to learn it, to map it in a linear way so you get familiar. And we'll go on. There are 16 steps. So we've just, I've just mentioned six tonight. We'll do more the week, weeks go ahead. And... Uh, if anybody wants more information, we have this great resource on our website. I think under the main menu category called Teachings, if you click that, one of the, uh, <clears throat> the subcategories under that is Resources. And then we have books that you might be interested in reading. And one of the resources is this Google Doc that you can click. And it, the title is something like uh, Instructions for Mindfulness of Breathing or something like that. So if you click that, you're going to get the basic translation of these 16 steps that I've been covering. But even better, for each of these 16 steps, uh, some community leaders, Nancy, Vivian, and Robin, I think who's here tonight, have been working for a couple years to create this wonderful resource. It's still in the works, but it's uh, certainly usable now, where we've looked at the comments from a lot of our senior teachers in this tradition, what they've suggested the Buddha was pointing to with each of the 16 steps. So you can take a look at, you know, the third step about breathing in 
uh, feeling the whole body, aware of the whole body, breathing out, aware of the whole body. And so what did Venerable Analio, this German monk, say about it? Or what did you know, Thich Nhat Hanh, this Vietnamese Buddhist monk, say about it? Or what did this other person say about it? And it's kind of like a triangulation where you hear these different points of view. Obviously, they're going to be somewhat similar, but they're all going to have their particular interpretation of what the Buddha, what actually the Buddha is pointing to in terms of our own direct, immediate experience. And then that will connect with our own direct practice and help illuminate it. Oh, this is what it is to be aware of the whole body breathing in, to be aware of the whole body breathing out. This is what the Buddha is pointing to. This is why it's liberating. This is why it supports a deepening of insight. Oh. So that's a resource that you can use. And then, like I mentioned, I'll be talking about mindfulness of breathing for a few weeks. And I'll use it as, um, even when we go on to other subjects, I'll continue to use it in the guided meditations. And there will be time for people to ask questions. And I'm going to put aside 15 minutes tonight. Because a lot of you, most of us, have been doing mindfulness of breathing at least to some degree for a long time in our practice, right? And we've learned some things and we've discovered, as Ajahn Sumedho has said, that it's truly the most frustrating thing in the whole universe. You would think it's easy. The instructions are pretty easy. Breathing in, aware of the breath coming in. Is it long? Is it short? Breathing out, aware of the breath going out. Is it long? Is it short? But surprisingly, it's not so easy to sustain awareness with something like the breathing process or anything, really. So let's take some time. Questions about what I've said tonight? Sharing experiences of mindfulness of breathing? Of course, anything related to the practice is appropriate to bring up at this time. And uh, Colleen has the microphone. Remember to point it right at your mouth. And we could just start with somebody. Maybe Anne's right here, and then we'll go over to this side of the room after Anne has a chance. Um, I have a question, a couple questions. One is about um, breathing and where I'm breathing. I used to always pay attention to the nostril breathing, and then it seemed like it would. I couldn't relax my breathing. Like it just got really forced, the ending, the beginning. And so tonight I tried like from here, and it felt like a lot better. And when we were doing the practice before of just sensitive to the whole body, um, that, I noticed, released my breathing a lot. So that was one question. And the second one was about joy. And if so if there's times when I don't get to that joy, it's sort of part of me wants to go see if you can find it, and part of me wants to go, oh, it's not there, so... Yeah. You know, just go on. Yeah, it's good good questions, Anne. So the first question, yes, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, I find that to be true in my own practice that I go pretty quickly to breathing in, sensitive to the whole body, breathing out, sensitive to the whole body, because I find that, well, first of all, my mind knows how to be aware of the whole body, but I also found that it does support relaxation, which is why the next step, the fourth step, is noticing the calm. Because it is calming to have that all-inclusive awareness as you breathe in, all-inclusive awareness. And the other point that Anne is making is when we use a more directed attention in our meditation, 
it triggers a lot of our mental habit energies of over-efforting. You know, it's like we think that being muscular is equivalent to being skillful or competent. But it's just not the case, you know, whether you're an artist or a parent or probably even a construction worker. There's a lot to say about subtlety and finesse and not just muscling our way through something. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I've learned this as I've gotten older that, like, if I'm doing work in the garden or work in the house that's sort of more physical, it's like when I was young, I would just sort of throw, I mean, it's not like I ever was sort of muscular, but I would sort of throw my youthful energy at it. But now I realize that being a lot more sensitive and a lot more subtle, even when I'm doing kind of more physically intense stuff, it's like it's just so much wiser and skillful to bring that subtlety and that integration to it. So in all kinds of ways, especially in the first four steps, a lot of what we're learning is what right effort is. It's the first thing in terms of insight. So instead of this neurotic self energy where we kind of too much effort and then too little because we want to give up because our too much effort didn't give us immediate feedback, immediate, immediate positive results. So now we're kind of in our helpless mode and, oh, or I'm going to sit because it's too embarrassing to leave, but I don't, it's not working for me. Maybe it works for other people. Oh, poor me. Right? So this is the, the general dance that we can fall into, over-efforting followed by a giving, some kind of giving up kind of energy. And so whatever we can do to um, practice as if we're sure it's going to work. And if it's not working, it's because something's happening here that we're missing. So we have confidence in the system, and it's just a matter of tuning in and being creative and trying something else until it starts to work, because it works. And I can say, and I think a lot of people in the room can say, it works. Yeah, and then your point about joy. Remember, I made this point, but maybe I didn't make it clearly enough. We learn it as a linear system so that you memorize it and you know the map. But once you know the map, you can be playful. So even though maybe you're just sort of, uh, you know, just trying to sort of settle the mind down basically and just connect with the breath in a non-conceptual way, that's just the reality of sensation, why would it hurt to remember joy or ease, right? So there's, because even if you just touch it for one half breath, it just the remembering of that, the lightness of tuning into joy, whatever, however it's available in that moment, will kind of affect all the other places in the in the practice. So don't be stuck with the linear the linearity of the instructions because it's the Buddha's attempt to give us a map, and then when we're practicing, once we've learned the map well enough, then we just do the best we can. And don't worry about making mistakes because if you're tracking your experience with mindful awareness, you'll learn from them, right? So how do we master the system unless we experiment with it? We have to be playful a little bit. Yeah, thanks, Anne. I think there was one or two people over here. Yeah, please, wait for the mic, though. 
So uh, my question, um, it's actually pretty straightforward. Um, oh, it's maybe not a question, but so I find when I'm doing something I really love, I mean, there is no me focusing on what I'm doing, right? I can just do it. And I don't even know sometimes how I, I can do this. Like, I'm wow, I didn't even know that, that I knew that. But, but somehow my brain figured it out. And in that state of flow is what they call it, or whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, you're very present, right? You're very detailed oriented. You know stuff like, and then. But when I go clock in at Whole Foods and I'm working at the salad bar, my brain is lost. You know, and and I, and as much as I want to focus on making sure the salad doesn't touch the the, the cucumber, you know, I, you, I you know I lose it. So my question is, how am I supposed to? learn to be present when I really don't want to be present now, you know, because, cause, because my brain is working on something I'm passionate about, and what's, you know, is there something wrong, you know, I mean, like, what give and take is there, you know, because sometimes I can't turn it off. Right, right, but you can, you can be aware that your mind is doing what it's doing, and that's the first step, because what you do next will depend on you seeing that there I am doing my job, and do, uh, thinking about something I'm passionate about. And then if you, this is just a metaphor, it's not exactly right, but if you step back and realize this is what's happening, you're not actually stepping back. It's more like you're being right in the middle of it. The awareness is right in the middle of it. You'll notice whether that, what you're doing, like thinking about something while doing your job, you'll notice if that's stressful or not, right? Well, it, and, and, it, and it is, and I think there's, so many of us Americans that just don't like our jobs because it's so <laughs> repetitive. But and we boring. like having food in an apartment or a house. Yeah, I, I mean it's a yeah, it it's weird, but it, yeah. I mean, so but but see that's that's the question though is it's like um, instead of trying to figure out, I mean it's not so much figuring out whether it's right or wrong, it's just figuring out whether it's stressful or not right now. And then the, the relevant question will arise, well, how... Because this is the great thing about having some sense of what stress, what tension, what mental contraction is in a very immediate and direct sense, not theoretically like am I suffering or am I not suffering, but you know what's arising directly in the experience of the body and mind is that we let that be the barometer. So then the question, you know, as you walk into the work tomorrow or the next day, it's like a little mindfulness bell goes off and the question isn't you telling yourself be good it's more like how can I be a person who's doing this and come alive in that experience experience wholesome enlivening states given that I'm going to be here how can this be an enlivening and liberating experience so you're saying like you've been preaching, or what I'm really hearing you've been saying tonight is we have a choice, and we can either choose, once you realize you have the choice, you can choose to either believe in the joy or you can find the suffering in that pain. Whichever one you focus on is going to drive my being present or not, right? So if I'm feeling joy at Whole Foods when I'm making sure that, that the lettuce doesn't touch the cucumber, if I feel joy doing that, I'm going to be happy there. Not, you know, so is that what you're saying? Really yeah, but don't worry. You know, the thing is, we learn as much, maybe even more from our mistakes. So a lot of it is 
when you catch yourself obsessing about something that you'd rather be doing or that you're going to do later, to just honestly, in just a moment, notice that it's stressful, like you said, you know, that the body's kind of... Yeah, because doing something and not wanting to be there is called suffering. So if you're going to be there, it's the same thing like being in a relationship but not really wanting to be there. And so it's not about whether you should be there or not. You are there right now. And that's the thing is that we can always... Cause the trouble is we could do what we want to do and then be wanting to be somewhere else too. <laughs> yeah. What's your name? Bosco. Bosco. Nice to meet you. Yeah, and someone else said, yeah, go ahead. Um, I just want to make a comment to him. I, I'm in the same situation. You know, it's just like the environment's negative. But the thing is, it's how you don't allow that environment to affect you in a negative way. It's how you yourself control that environment. So like you stated, it's, it's like having knowing that peace and calm and joy no matter where you go because then nothing can touch you. So if you have that inner peace, you know, even if it's stormy outside, you're not going to, you know, all, you know, be all stressed out or worried because you have that inner peace within you no matter what. And learning, like you stated, that deep breathing and going through your daily life um, in general helps release the stress and the toxins and just focus on your inner self, you know, whether it's for the positive or the healing. So this is my first time here. So, you know, just coming here and just breathing and just um, allowing myself to be open and to just let everything go free, um, like focusing on different parts of the body. Like you said, breathing, feeling it here, releasing all the stress or toxins or emotions, but not focusing so much on the breathing. Like just like the ocean, the wave flows, you kind of learn and go by that, just what your body's you know, wants to do. So it's, it's new to me, but um, I do like feel the results like instantly. So mm-hmm. I want to thank you. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. And, and may I just say, I think it's funny that you say at work because you say the word and it's a big word that I just want to highlight it, control. You know, there is no controlling anything when you clock in at Whole Foods or whatever your job is. I mean, and you know, so many people think, well, I need to control that environment. Y- you can't. I mean, and we can't even control our reactions. And we don't want to pathologize the irritation or the shutting down or the anger or the lust or whatever might arise because those are natural arisings. I'm not saying that they're skillful arisings, but they're natural. And they can't be controlled, but we can be aware of them. And the thing about being aware of them is the choice will arise what we do with it. If we're not willing to be aware of our irritation or whatever, then we're really going to, we're just going to follow it out and we won't have such useful consequences. I mean, we'll get in trouble with ourselves and with those around us. But if we're aware that we're irritated, then we can be forgiving. We can understand how it arose so that maybe in the future we can make different choices. And we can do some self-soothing, right? We can like take walk ourselves away from the situation that's triggering the irritation. Turn away. So there's many things we can do when we honestly acknowledge, oh, I'm upset. But the most important thing is to not be afraid of our negative or unwholesome patterns that get triggered. Because then we miss an opportunity to learn. And I see this all the time, you know, where defensiveness gets triggered, Jan and I were in a meeting earlier tonight and I got defensive in that meeting. 
So it's like, uh, it's very easy for uh, these patterns to get triggered in our busy lives. But we don't want to be afraid of the messiness. There are teachers. And it's not just the outside world that's crazy. It's crazy here. So there's no escaping. Like even if you get to some utopia place, some people think Minneapolis is utopia, you know. And relatively speaking, it kind of is. But we know that even if everybody, everything around us is perfect, people might think Whole Foods is the best place to work, people who don't work there. So <laughs> we're all wonder, we all want your job. <laughs> but uh, you know, the, the reality is that even if we escape, we still have our own conditioning. And it can be just as wild and sometimes mean. And the question is, how can we be free of suffering even when we have our own unwholesome tendencies having been triggered, expressing themselves. Right? There is a way, and this is why we practice, to not be afraid of seeing things as they are. And we'll pick it up next Wednesday. Actually, I won't be here next Wednesday. Patrice will be teaching. I'll be leading a retreat on the West Coast. So I'll be gone for seven days, but I'll be here the rest of the fall teaching on Wednesdays. So let's just take a few seconds, let go of the words, just enough time to take a breath or two together. Thanks, everyone, for coming tonight. Really nice to be here together. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.